If you have your Bibles, turn to Revelation chapter 20. I hope you do have your, your Bibles. Go ahead and turn there. We're going to look at several places this morning in several different places. And, and uh, before we get started, I want to give you a thought. I want you to think about something. Suppose we were here today having your memorial service. Now, some of you are sitting here thinking, could you be any more morbid than making that statement? But I'm here to tell you, like he said, he said it in a different way. It's all com it's coming. Unless the Lord comes back and calls us home, that day's coming. There will be those who will gather in a room similar to this. And basically, your life, hopefully, will be celebrated. But not only that, there's going to be pastors who are going to attempt to minister to the family. And, and I'm going to be honest with you. Sometimes it's very hard to minister to the family, especially when you don't know about the, the person's eternal destination. Now, now think of this. What could be said about you that would help comfort your family? It won't be the subject of your career. It won't be the subject of your accomplishments. It won't be the subject of even your goodness as a parent or spouse. The only thing that will truly comfort your family is the assurance that your eternal existence is in heaven. Today we're going to conclude the series, The Afterlife. And for the first four sections of this series, we looked at the, the eternal promise of heaven. And I don't know about you, but after going through those studies, I, I'm, I'm a little more homesick now, knowing what heaven is and what the Bible says about it. I'm a little more homesick. But, but here today, we're going to look at the alternative to heaven. And by the way, it's not a very good alternative. It's not. I want you to look at the statistic on your outline. At a 2015 Harris poll revealed that 58% of those surveyed believe there is a place called hell. 58%. Now, actually, that was higher than I anticipated. 58%. Now, here's an interesting note, footnote to it. With only 4% believing it will be their eternal destination. Now, think about that. 58% believe in a place called hell, with only 4% believing that may be their eternal destination. Now, I, I, hope, that, I hope that those numbers are, that would be pretty cool if that were the, the accurate numbers. But look at the introduction. While many Christians believe there is a hell, its reality never really seems to motivate them in their witness. Before we jump in and look at the, the, how the Bible describes this place that we know as hell, as hell I, I just want to ask you, does, does the fact that there's a, a, a real hell out there, does it motivate you to care for the eternal souls of those around you? And if not, why? Why? I'm convinced the reason it may not be there is because many times we don't, want to, we don't want to think about this subject. We don't even want to go there. Well, can I fill you in on something? God's Word and Jesus Himself went there many times, many times. So look on your outline. Two unbiblical pictures of hell. I think for some of us, when we look at this whole issue of hell and what it represents and what's all behind it, I think many times we, we kind of want to be consoled in it. And so, therefore, maybe there's some other doctrines we try to bring in or some, some other ideas about this place. And, and so there's two that are prominent out there. And the first one's something called universalism. 
And it's, it's the fact that everyone will, will be eventually saved. Now, this view believes God will eventually redeem all mankind. The Catholic Church has a version of this, and which is called purgatory. It's the idea that, it, that there will be some suffering for sin, but eventually we will all go to heaven. There's a, 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 a famous pastor from years ago who wrote a book in which I believe the book was heresy. I believe it was counter to God's word. And in the book, the, the, the pastor's name was Rob Bell, and he writes uh, this book called Love Wins. Let, let me give you a quote of what he says uh, concerning eternity. In the end, it is humanity's choice to choose God or not. We are given a choice here on earth to participate in the kingdom and mission of God. And here's where he goes wrong. And there is no reason why that will stop after death. Many will choose God in the end. He's basically saying there will be another opportunity to choose God or not when we leave this world after death. Y'all, the Bible is far from that. And we're going to look at a verse that proves that in just a little while. But that's not what God's word says. Another side of universalism is this. It's that whole idea that, that all religions, all paths, all ways lead to heaven. You may call God a different name. You may call uh, the, 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 those, uh, the path a different name. There may be different ways to get there, but it all leads to the same place. Listen, that is far from truth. Jesus himself nailed that one where he said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me. The next uh, unbiblical picture of hell is this place called uh, annihilationism. It, it literally means the loss will eventually cease to exist. Now, this view is held by the seven-day Adventist and uh, Jehovah Witnesses and also in many mainline denominations. It's worked its way into mainline denomination. And this, this view basically says that the loss will be resurrected and will be judged at the great white throne judgment. We're going to look at that in just a moment. Then they'll be cast into the lake of fire where they will burn, and through the fire they will cease to exist. Now, here's their argument. They would say when it says everlasting fire, it is referring to the fact that the effect is everlasting. That a person will cease to exist and that's the everlasting effect of the fire. Now again, that's not what the Bible paints a picture of. Now, while both of these views offer some consolation and are sensitive to the plight of those who do not know Christ, they are not biblical and therefore carry no authority. Now, I'm just going to be honest with you. I wish these views were true. I, I would love for, for people to see God and, uh, in all his glory and have the ability to choose. I wish that were true. I, I, I wish there were different things. But here's, here's the thing you need to understand. These things are unbiblical. These are not what the Bible proposes or puts before us when it comes to the afterlife. Now, look on your outline, two biblical places of hell. Now, just as heaven seems to have an intermediate place, so does hell. According to Scripture, listen, hell is a real and literal place. If you ever looked at the descriptions, it's very literal in detail. First of all, there's this place called Hades. Many of you have heard of Hades. It's what many people call the intermediate hell. 
Okay? It's a place where the lost are kept until the final judgment. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus is talking a little bit about this, and we're going to look at it in its entirety in just a moment. It says this, Jesus said, And being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now this, as it says, is a reference to a location called Hades. Now some writings call Hades Gehenna. Gehenna. It actually was a, a literal place. It was south of Jerusalem. It was in the valley. And, and there's where they would burn the waste of the city. Okay, And it would constantly burn. Uh, the fires never ceased to, to not burn. And, and so many are saying that Jesus, when he alluded to, to Hades, he compared it to this place called Gehenna. 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 Uh, it's the whole idea of the, the fact that the fires ceased to burn. Now, here's something else. After what is called the great white throne judgment, the condemned are put into what is called the lake of fire, and that's eternal. So you have Hades, which many scholars believe is an intermediate, a place, a holding until the judgment. Then there's the judgment, and then there is the place that we know of as the lake of fire, which is eternal. Look at Revelation chapter 20. I've told you this before because I've preached on this, these verses before. I think this is the most gruesome thing that you'll find in Scripture. I mean, it's really hard to read. Look at verse 11. It says, Then I saw, this is John, memories on the Isle of Patmos, uh, the, the angel, the God is revealing all these visions to him. And all of a sudden, he comes to verse 11. Then I saw a great white throne and him who sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. That, that means the things of this world, the, the, filed, the, the filed world in which we live, the, the, the defilement of the heavens and all that. It's not talking about the heaven, but of the heavens, that, that it, could, it could not in itself stand before this throne. Okay, that's the picture you get there. And it says, and there was found no place for them. It's, it's alluding to those who have been resurrected for a, a, a judgment. And I saw the dead, small and great. That, that not only, it's really more of a reference of their influence. Standing before God. You see, this is a scene of judgment. It's a scene of a courtroom. And books were open. You see, when it says the books were open, it means the case was being built against those who are raised up for this judgment. And another book was open, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged, listen, this is key, according to their works by the things that were written in the books. So you have the books that are here, and I believe it's a record of our lives, a record of our lives. The Bible seems to imply that there's a record that's being kept based on our, life, our lives. Now, now, how many of you find that kind of intimidating? Yeah, it's being kept. This, is the, this will be the, the proof, the evidence that will be built against those who do not trust Christ. And then there's another book there. It's called the Book of Life. And we're going to see that's important. Those whose name are written in the Book of Life are those who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And it goes on. It says, and the dead were judged, this is key, according to the works by the things which were written in the books. Verse 13. 13, it says the sea, that's really the, a picture of the sea of humanity. The sea of humanity gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades were delivered up. The dead who were in them. And they were judged each according, here it is a second time, each according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. 
This is the second death. You see, this is a picture really, if you were to say, okay, tell me a little bit about this court scene. It's really the sentencing phase of the courts. It's the sentencing the proof has been there. But as you make your way through this scene, you're going to see then the sentence is handed down. And verse 51, 15 says this, And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now here's what's interesting about all this. It says twice, twice. I'll get this straight today. Twice it says basically it was a picture of their works. Now, can I tell you this before we go any further, and we'll talk about it at the end. You do not want to stand before God on your own record. You don't want to do that. None of us are capable of being good enough. You say, well, man, that, that, that paints God in a bad light. I mean, come on. Can, he, can we not please him? No. Not in and of ourselves. He's holy. We're sinful. But you know something? There's a beautiful picture there, however. His son was sent to, to deal with that. And we're going to look at that in just a moment. Look on your outline. There's three biblical pictures of hell. I want you to turn now to Luke chapter 16. We're going to look as much as we can there. But many have an idea of what hell will be like. And I've heard many people say it. I, I, I see it in the media. I see it uh, sometimes in movies. I, I actually overhear people having conversations about it. Uh, when you go witnessing, you'll hear sometimes someone trying to be smart. And you'll hear things like this. But some have suggested that hell will be a party. I've heard, it, I've heard it personally, talking to someone. A party, a place to hang out. A place, some have, have this picture, a place where a figure with a pitchfork and horns walks around poking people. We have these images of what we see there. But hell, listen, is a place of torment beyond one's imagination. Now let me just say this. How many of you, when you look at heaven, it appears to be beyond our imaginations? Yeah, we, we tried to say that John, he's basically in a, put in a tough position to explain what heaven looks like beyond our imaginations. Do you know hell carries the same, similar weight beyond our imaginations? Listen to this. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Paul, James, Peter, Jude, and the writer of Hebrews all say something about this place called hell. Did you know that Jesus talked about hell as much as he did heaven? It's a place. It's out there. It awaits those who don't know him. The Bible describes hell, number one, as eternal punishment. This punishment is literally, if you really think about it, it's literally the wrath of God being poured out. That's really a picture of what it is. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, Paul comforts those who are suffering by the hands of their persecutors by saying that God will judge them. Now, let me tell you something about God's judgment. God's judgment, we may not understand it. God's judgment will be just. It will be just. And when you read all this, it's hard to put your mind around the fact it's just. But it, it will be just. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 11, it seems to imply that there will be different degrees of punishment in hell. So there will be varying degrees of that there. So in Luke chapter 16, look at verse 19. Here's a glimpse. Jesus gives us a picture of it. He says, There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple, fine linen, and fare sumptuously every day. 
That means he had no need of anything. He was his own man. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus full of sores who was laid at his gate. Now, this is not the same Lazarus who was raised from the dead. Okay, this is a different one. Desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table, moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Do you hear the, the, the contrast between the two men here? It's a big contrast right here on earth, but there's going to be a contrast in, in the afterlife also. And we see that his, the, even the dogs came to lick his sores, verse 22. So it was that the beggar died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. Many people believe this is the whole idea of Hades, the intermediate heaven. So the rich man also died, uh, not Hades, I'm sorry, the intermediate heaven, uh, the paradise that we talk about. Then the rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, here's your intermediate hell, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, many of you may not be aware of this, but the intermediate heaven appears to have several names, several references. To the Jew, it was considered Abraham's bosom. Abraham was the father of the faith as they knew it. Okay, And, and so he, he was there. It was a picture of him being there, that they were comforted, that they were placed there. It was a place of safety. Verse 24, then he cried and said, this is, this is a rich man, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. But Abraham said, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things. And likewise, Lazarus received evil things. But now he is comforted and you are tormented. And besides all this, between us and you, there's a great gulf fixed. That means there's nothing I can do about this situation. So that those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor can those from there pass to us. Then he said, I beg you, therefore, Father, that you would send someone to my father's house, for I have five brothers, that he may testify to them, lest they also come to this place of torment. Isn't it interesting that the people who are, who are in hell or Hades, they become witnesses at that point? Don't, don't let them come to this terrible place. He's reaching out. He's reaching out. And Abraham said to him, verse 29, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if one goes to them from the dead, they will repent. But he said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, that's basically the Old Testament, neither will they be persuaded through one rise from the dead. Now, now think about this. Notice that the rich man in this place is thirsty. He, he is in a place of total dissatisfaction. There's nothing there to quench what he needs most. Now, in Revelation 21, we saw this last week or two weeks ago, it records that all those who thirst will what? They'll be satisfied. So, so you over here in heaven, you have those who are thirsting. And if there is a thirst, guess what? It will be satisfied. It will be quenched. But here's the contrast of the other place. The other place, there is a thirst. There is a desire. There is a want to. That is basically, there is no, sat, no satisfaction, dissatisfaction. It's a pretty bad scene here. A second biblical description of hell is eternal destruction. Matthew chapter 7 says this. Jesus said it actually. Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. 
And there are many who go by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. This right here, this verse right here, tells me there is no way universalism is in play when it comes to the afterlife. Because Jesus himself said there's many more going the broad way. That implies all the ways except for the way of Jesus. And he says there's a narrow way. And he says, those, broad, those who go by the broad way, it will lead to their destruction. But then he says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. You see, it is clear that the suffering in hell will be intense. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 8. It says, but the sons of the kingdom will be cast into outer darkness and there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus also said in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. You see, hell described as destruction is best understood to show that hell is final. It's utter loss. It's utter ruin. It's utter waste. A third biblical description of hell is eternal banishment. And y'all, this is bad too. It's bad all the way around. This is bad too. I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 25. This will be the last place I'll have you turn. Now think of this. Whereas punishment stresses the active side of hell, banishment shows the horror of heaven, highlighting what a person misses. Banishment is more than just separation from God. It is the finality of their predicament. Predicament. It is forever with no hope of improvement. It's the idea of exclusion, separation, and isolation. Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25. Look at verse 41. He said, Then he will also say to those on his left hand, Depart from me, you curse, into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, you did not take me in. Naked, you didn't clothe me. Sick and in prison, you did not visit me. Then they will also answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or, or naked or a stranger or, or, or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do to the one of the least of these, you did not do to me. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Now, here's what this text is not saying. It's not saying that the only way to heaven is doing certain things. That's not saying that. I mean, it, it looks exactly like that. But we know from good theology and the bigger picture of what Jesus taught and what Paul confirmed was the fact that we come to, to God by way of Jesus and his righteousness. It is his righteousness. When we start seeing acts in which we go out and reach out to those who can't help themselves, it is, a, it is basically a reflection of the fact that we have we've received what he offers. And therefore now we go out just as he went out, just as he, the example that he left us, and so, therefore, we reflect what he, who he is and what he is because we received him. This is a picture of reflection. And so, therefore, the three biblical pictures of hell gives us pictures of God himself. Hell as punishment vividly depicts God as judge. 
Hell as destruction depicts God as warrior and victor. Hell as banishment depicts God as king who allows only his citizens into his kingdom. Now let me just say this. There's a world out there that wants the benefits of what we call heaven, the benefits of a God who is love, but in no way do they want to see God in this picture. Listen, God is love. God is love in such a way that he sent his only begotten son to die on your behalf, to die on everyone's behalf. And what's interesting about this is they, they don't, what it is is they don't want to come on his terms. They, they want to settle into their pride and make their own way and be their own person and, and not have to surrender to, to what he has for them. So they just want the convenience of love, love, love. And so we live in a world right now that says God is only love. But that's not the complete picture of who God is. God is just. God is holy. There are certain things that those things demand that he must do. And that's where I want us to go next. Look on your outline. There are four biblical proofs of hell. First of all, God's holiness demands judgment. God's holiness, listen, demands that sin must be punished. Hebrews chapter 9 says it this way. And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this, the judgment. The, the famous pastor who wrote the book, Love Wins, that verse right there blows everything he says right out of the world. That's the reason what he's written is heresy. Because it counters what God's word says. Look at what it says again. It's appointed for men to die once. And then what comes? Then the judgment. So Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many to those who eagerly wait for him. He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. These verses confirm, listen, that sin must be punished. But the verse also confirms that sin can be forgiven, but still must be punished. However, Jesus took the punishment upon himself on our behalf. Next, Jesus' sacrifice demands judgment. I mean, think about this. If there were so many other ways and there's more to come in which they'll have all these other provisions that are made, let me ask you this. What was Jesus' death all about? Would you do that to your child for nothing when it didn't mean anything? Hebrews 10 says this. Oh, how much worse punishment did you suppose Will he be thought worthy who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, counting the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing? Basically, what the writer of Hebrews is saying here, he's saying this whole, the blood of the covenant is basically the provision Jesus Christ made for us. That we could re receive him on his terms, repent of our sins, place our faith in him. All made by way of his blood that was shed on Calvary. All that. And, and, and basically what he's saying is if we don't look at how special that is, if we call it a common thing, we're saying it's no big deal. It's no different than anyone else dying for someone else. And then it says this, and insulted the spirit of grace. Those who reject his offer of grace and salvation. It goes on. For we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. And then he says this, it is a fearful thing. Listen to this. 
it should terrify you to fall into the hands of the living God. And by the way, let me give, give you a little caveat based on good theology. Listen, it is a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God, listen, without the provision of Jesus Christ. Without the provision of Jesus Christ. Next, Jesus' sorrow speaks of judgment. In Luke chapter 19, Jesus is there and he's come on the scene. He's walking with his disciples. He's overlooking Jerusalem. And all of a sudden, it appears that the emotion just got the best of him. The emotion just got the best of him. Now as he, Jesus, drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. There came a point where you were deceived by your pride. There came a point where you were deceived by the fact you thought you knew the way. There came a point where you wanted to do it your own way. And you rejected what I had to offer. You see, it broke broke Jesus' heart that they rejected him. Not because he felt rejection himself necessarily, but because of what they're going to miss and what was going to happen to them in the afterlife. Next, Paul's passion speaks of judgment. Romans chapter 9, listen to what he says. I tell the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen. You know what he was saying there? Accursed from Christ. He's basically saying, I am willing to go to hell if my countrymen, if Israel, if God's people would just get it. If they would come to him on the terms in which I'm laying forth or that Jesus laid forth. He said, if they did that, I'd be willing to go to hell for that for them. According to the flesh, we who are Israelites, to whom, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises. You see, when I read this, I'm not only seeing Paul saying what he's willing to do. Here's what I'm seeing. I'm seeing that Paul loves God so much. He saw firsthand what God did on their behalf. He saw how God laid down his son, put his son down on their behalf and and brought this that they could come and commune with him forever in the afterlife. And it it broke Paul's heart that God did all that and they still didn't get it. Still didn't get it. Why was Paul so passionate? Because let me tell you, I believe Paul was so passionate about getting the word out. Here's one reason why. Because hell was a reality that he knew that laid outside on the other side. But not only that, did you know Paul had the privilege to go to heaven one time? He saw how great God is. He saw the throne. He saw the beauty. He wanted everyone to experience that. This is what you're seeing in this plea here. So in closing, in his famous sermon, many of you heard of Jonathan Edwards. One of his famous sermons was this, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God. Here's what he writes. The vitals of the wicked, wicked shall forever be full of glowing, melting fire, fierce enough to melt away the very rocks and elements. And also, they shall eternally be full of the most quick and lively sense to feel the torments of hell forever and ever without any end at all. 
and never, never be delivered. Let me say this. This should break our hearts. This is not one of these sermons you'll walk, on around, you'll walk away from here today and say, man, he really gave it to us today, didn't he? We all should be leaving here with a burden for those that we love who have not come by way of Jesus. Listen to this. Just because we choose not to talk about hell does not mean it does not exist. And here's the application. We're going to end the way we started. Which will be your eternal destination? Heaven or hell? And here's a better question. Will your friends and family wonder and worry about your eternal destination? I can't tell you how many times I've taught the families. And, of course, there's those good stories where, where a pastor gets to see someone in their church live for Jesus, love Jesus, see the fruit of their life, and then come to this point called a memorial service where we can truly celebrate their life and then their body laying right here and us up here, and we're talking and we're having a good time talking about he's in heaven with Jesus. No greater joy for a pastor and to know that assurance, to see that in that person's life. But let me tell you, one of the most difficult things a pastor has to do is be in the exact same scene and not really know. And sit down and talk with the family. Do you believe there was a time in their life in which they came to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? And that family just to sit there and say, we're just not sure. We just don't know. Will your family have to worry about you? Can I tell you, grief is difficult to go through. But grief is nothing when you know that person's with Jesus. I mean, it's still, it's heavy, it hurts, it's painful. But boy, it can be a whole lot worse. I want to ask you to stand to your feet, please. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed and we prepared to sing a hymn of invitation. I don't know where you are spiritually this morning. <clears throat> but I'm here to tell you this is not a fun topic to talk about. It's not a fun topic to bring to your attention. But I'm here to tell you it's a topic that must be discussed. You know why? Because it's in God's word. If the only thing I talk to you about is heaven and how wonderful it is and I don't give you the other side... I haven't given you the full reality of God's word. I've given it all to you. Now it's your choice. Will you choose him? Will you go to that place he's prepared for you? Or will you not? And go to that place. Listen, that is a place of punishment. And here's the difference. Two groups of people in this room. The group that says, when I stand before God... I want to stand on my own record. That is a foolish decision. Listen, you will die in your sins and go to this place we described here today. Or are you the person that says, you know something? I don't want my record to stand when I'm judged. I don't want that to stand because I'm telling you, I would be found guilty. And God's word says you would be found guilty. For all have sinned come short of the glory of God. But I want Jesus... <laughs> 
I'm taking on the provision of Jesus. I did that back in my life when I walked the face of the earth. And, and I'm telling you, I took it for everything it was worth. And, and Jesus died for my sins. And I'm standing on what? His record. That's heaven. Where are you today? Father, we just thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. And Lord, even your goodness, we can talk about a place of torment and hell and, and still look at your goodness through that lens. And Father, it's so difficult to think that there is a place out there on the other side of this life, a, a different a, a eternal reality that's out there that, that paints a picture like that. But Father, help us to understand that doesn't have to be our eternal reality, that we can choose Jesus that we can come by way of him. Father, change our hearts. Draw us to him. In Jesus' name. I don't know where you are this morning.